Guardian Unlimited. I'm Michael White and with me are Damien Green, the Conservative's immigration spokesman and MP for Ashford in Kent since 1997. That's where the trains stop. And also in the studio, as we call it, it's a sofa, is Andrew Jimson, the Daily Telegraph sketchwriter and increasingly famous by the day as the author of a new biography of the leading Conservative, Boris Johnson. I gather, Andrew, that you're still friends with Boris, but Boris is not entirely happy, which, if I may say so, is as it should be. How are sales going? Uh, I think they're going fine, um, mainly thanks to Boris. Um, he says I took much too much trouble um, in the book not to appear sycophantic. Um, but he was very, very sporting yesterday. He did turn up when I was signing some copies. Yeah, Until Boris he, turning up is a story in itself. Absolutely oh. stupendous. But I, I put in an emergency call to him because I was being heavily outsold by Anne Widdicombe on the neighbouring store, who was sort of sucking every, hoovering every possible customer uh, um, in sight. Somewhere in the book, uh, you report that he was initially enthusiastic about the project in his modest way, then had second thoughts, and eventually offered you £100,000 not to write it. Is that correct? That's perfectly true, and I having... I'm glad of that, because you wrote it. Yes, yes. No, I can confirm this. Um, it's absolutely, absolutely true, um, and I very foolishly turned down the... Boris's kind offer of £100,000. He then, he then realised that actually he made a bit of a faux pas and I didn't really like being bribed and he offered free Greek lessons to my children instead. Um, which I think is an offer that I, again, which, well I, would, uh, I knew that dear Boris wouldn't have enough time to teach my children Greek actually. But he'd be pretty good at it if, if he ever applied. He's frightfully good. He's a classicist, and he's, he? He's a very, he was a very, very good classicist. He only started at the age of 11 and by the age of 13 he was capable of getting a scholarship to eat and, he, and the, the man who taught him said he never knew a boy who learnt Latin and Greek quicker or, or, or enjoyed it more than Boris. He, re, he recited Greek grammar before breakfast <coughs> at his, um, his school. What a thought. He's um, uh, famous for his white blonde hair which of course comes from um, adjoining Turkey, from Anatolia and allegedly, if I, if I understand your book correctly, he's descended from Goths who must have sell, uh, settled there some 1500 years ago. So does he speak Turkish as well as well as the Greek? It would be an obvious pair. He doesn't speak Turkish, and whenever he talks about his Turkish roots, he tends to get several of the facts completely wrong. But it is, in, in, it is true that his great-grandfather was one of the last Ottoman interior ministers, tried to um, get a grip on Ataturk, failed, and was stoned to death by a mob in 1922. So he, and he was a journalist. I mean, he was like Boris. Jo Boris's career may Brave, end... Brave, reckless, yes, being stoned to death. Being, yeah, may end but by fellow conservatives, well, not by he, fellow journalists. Boris may be laughed to death, I don't know. He, I hope he won't, be, won't ever be stoned to death. Uh, Damien Green, are you instinctively drawn to read more about Boris? Do you want this book in your uh, Christmas uh, stocking? Uh, well, uh, A, that, because I've certainly been reading the, the extracts uh, with, uh, with huge interest. Um, but I'm also sitting here contemplating uh, which of my colleagues is rich enough that if I uh, threaten to write a biography of them, they'd offer me £100,000, because not to, because I'd take it like a shot. We could work down a shakedown route in between <laughs> us here, couldn't we? We could go around saying to, uh, saying to uh, uh, Chris Grayling, your transport spokesman, he's ready for major exposure, saying, you know, we won't write it, just 100 large notes. We're on to something here. We'll cut you in on it, Andrew. I think um, Damien is the obvious next subject, actually. Now, <laughs> yes, sadly, yes. I'd probably be able to offer you about 50p. Any languages you could teach the children? Um, 
<laughs> Boris has had a lower profile this year, Andrew. Now, what's that about? Because here we have the tragedy of your book, understated like so many of your, your uh, shrewd but non-censorious judgments. It's a delightful book. Uh, uh, is that he, an old Etonian did indeed become leader of the Conservative Party. Boris's fantasies were fulfilled, but they were fulfilled in David Cameron, some little oik two years younger than himself. Well, they haven't been fulfilled yet. I mean, but I must say that I'm very, very pleased that this oppressed minority of old Etonians are at last allowed to return to their traditional role. In are Ireland. you intoning yourself? I'm not. On, I'm not. No, I'm no. glad to say, no, 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 I'm not. But, um, of course, Mr Cameron and a great many... But it is, I think it is a, a bit of... But Boris never said this to me. I think it is rather a bitter blow for him. He dealt with being an Etonian by exaggerating his... Um, what are popularly regarded as upper-class mannerisms. Um, and then this, this sort of smooth, calm, collected, younger boy... Cameron, not nearly as well known as Boris until a year ago, um, suddenly cruises past him. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's so has he been locked in the coal cellar this year? He hasn't been locked in the coal cellar, but he, I, he is, he, when I started this book, it's, it's perfectly true that he was the coming man, and even quite reputable journalists were saying he could well be the next Conservative Prime Minister. No one is saying that now. Personally, of course, um, I believe that Boris has got another 20 years to get to the top. And, and the paperback sales to <laughs> the entire period. Yeah, I think we've got you. Uh, Damien, you come from a much uh, 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 less uh, exotic political stock. Indeed, your father used to be my first editor, Howard Green, on the Reading Evening Post, and he went on to become chairman of the, I've just remembered this, the Henley Conservative Association. I rang him up and said, uh, Howard, your picture is in the paper this morning holding hands with Boris Johnson. You seem to have picked him as your candidate. And he said, will it be all right, Mike? And I said, well, it'll certainly be interesting. <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> now, you, you've taken uh, a, a longer, solid the path, you've been in the shadow cabinet, you've been out of it again. How do politicians cope with the vicissitudes of being up and down? Ten years of the Tory party since you were elected, pretty turbulent, four, five leaders, whatever it is now. What's the trick to being um, steady and solid and not like Boris? The, the, two, the two greatest virtues uh, in politics are physical stamina and a thick skin. Yep. And um, in, I've been discussing with some of your colleagues uh, the problems of, of podcasting, uh, which do include uh, everyone in the world writing in insulting things about you. And journalists find this a huge shock, uh, and journalists tend to be thin-skinned. Uh, and if you're thin-skinned um, and you're in politics, then you should find another career, perhaps journalism, uh, which was my previous career. Uh, so you just have to develop uh, the thought that if, if you do what you think is right, then do it, and people will throw bricks at you, but that's showbiz. Andrew, have you had any horrid things said about you, and have they surprised you since you ducked into the authorial racket, or indeed the sketch writing racket? You're the sketch writer of the Telegraph. I've, I think if you dish it, dish it out, you've got to be able to take it. Um, but I, but I have right. Journals are very bad at taking it. Journals are also absolutely eye. preposterous. Yes, I don't think a journalist should ever go to law. Um, I think uh, completely ridiculous. Um, no, I've, I've, I've been very gently treated so far. All I'm worried about is that I may have hurt one or two people's feelings in this book, but... Um, but not no. Boris's, of course. Not, not Boris, no. Boris, Boris, Boris has had much worse than... than um, I've already seen Boris this morning. He's returning from his, his morning run. He's a very energetic character. It's not a euphemism, returning from... Um, <laughs> well, yeah. that's what he appeared to be returning from. He was in running gear, so... Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, my investigations, my research is, as usual, pitifully superficial. I, I took the whole thing at face value. We, um, you, you would, Mike, you would immediately have. You know. Up to a point, Lord Copper. We, um, <laughs> uh, uh, we must move on from this fascinating topic of Boris. Do you think, Andrew, that there's ever he's the higher education spokesman? I watched him talk to a high-minded 
Tory think tank a few months ago, and uh, I enjoyed myself hugely because he agreed with whatever the last person said. He was very charming, of course, and I thought, has this man a future? Does he have a future? I think he, I think he does. I think he's so gifted, and there are not very many Tory MPs who are well-known, and he's possibly the only one who's well-known without having held any important office. He's certainly the he's best. He's the editor of the Spectator. Yes, all right. As, as, as a journalist, yes, yes. But he's not only known, known as a journalist. He's known as a, a politician. Um, I think he does have a future. Yes, but, it, but the charm of politics is it's incredibly unpredictable. Yep. And do you do you point out that rackety journalists like Disraeli and yep. Churchill got there in the end? Right. Off as outsiders. Right. Yes, right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Damien Green, you've got a difficult brief. Immigration uh, is yet very much off the agenda this week. You did the. Guardian's conference debate a couple of days ago, and when we finished, you said no questions about immigration, most of it about tax. So uh, why, when the Bulgarian and Romanian accession to the EU is a hot issue, the government grossly miscalculated the number of people coming when the previous ten new members joined two or three years ago, why is it not a hot issue in this conference? Well, it's an issue. It's not the issue. David Davis mentioned it, obviously, in his speech yesterday. Uh, David Cameron has mentioned it as well. Uh, but one of the things we need to do is to uh, stop the Tory party obsessing about certain issues uh, which people think they obsess about. And David Cameron said, let's not bang on about Europe, let's not bang on about That's on the radio this morning. And, 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 and he is exactly right. Uh, it's an important issue. It's not the only issue. Um, I bang on about it because I'm paid to. And I spent yesterday doing uh, a vast raft uh, of fringes about it. What did, you t what did you say to your people at the fringes? What, what do the Tories want to be done and expect the government the to do? And is that enough to reassure your uh, Middle England, Middle Britain supporters who well, don't see foreign faces as much as city dwellers? Well, it, interestingly, and, and I was quite surprised by this because this is the first conference where I've been immigration spokesman, I, I wondered uh, if the audience were going to be full of people who said, why aren't you talking about... Uh, sending people back and closing the borders. Actually, there was none of that at all. The, the, the audiences I've been speaking to have been uh, from a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds uh, and uh, are full of people who are concerned with what's happening on the door. Uh, there was a, a, a councillor in Croydon who happens to be Afro-Caribbean, very worried about the BNP uh, because he said people have genuine uh, worries about housing and, and asking questions about how do you combat that. So actually, uh, I was getting perfectly sensible, real-life questions from people who, if you like, live on the front line of modern Britain. Uh, a lot of them, interestingly, uh, suburban uh, mm. conservative activists um, in places like Croydon, places like Harrow. There were two women Asian councillors from Harrow who said, we've got big problems, we, we need to turn the party's image round, uh, and, and they're helping to do so. But, but that's the sort of questions I'm getting. Yeah, I think Labour uh, MPs, people like John Crudders and Dagenham articulate this, also fearful of the BNP. I haven't heard much about the BNP in this conference. No, well, you, I mean, the more you talk about them, you, you give them the oxygen of publicity. Right, we'll stop then. Uh, indeed, I'm sure the BNP are, are big fans of the Guardian podcast. Uh, but the, uh, the, the serious point is that the, you know, the Conservative Party uh, is changing, perhaps too slowly, uh, but needs to continue changing. You know, I'm delighted to meet... Asian women councillors, conservative councillors from places like Harrow, because that is representing the community they come from. You know, that, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the ethnic minority population of Harrow is, but I would imagine it's quite high. And if the Conservative Party aspires to be a party that represents everyone, as it does, then it's got to have people like that engaged and involved. One has to say that many immigrants are natural conservatives. They believe in family, religion, hard work, um, doing the best for your children and all that. 
and this was why, um, although he was a great man, Enoch, he set the Tory party back a generation, really, by failing, first of all, to realise how flexible Britishness is, and that these people would become British very, very quickly, and came here because they loved Britain in many cases, um, uh, by regarding these people as a threat instead of a, a, an enormous new reservoir of Conservatives. And that you're saying, in effect, pals for longer, younger listeners to the podcast, ha, 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 ha. despite uh, uh, Damien Green's slighting yes. remarks yes. about uh, the <laughs> podcast, uh, the Rivers of Blood speech he made in 1968, I see the FOMA, yes. the FOMA, Tiber foaming with much blood, uh, that, that pushed uh, immigrants instinctively into Labour's camp, exactly, despite yes. the fact that Ted Heath, yeah. future Prime Minister, sacked Powell more or less on the spot. Yes. Up to a point, it, I mean, clearly most of the, the minority groups in this country have traditionally uh, gone to the Labour Party, probably for that reason. However, it should be said that uh, one of the meetings I, I, I was talking to, the, the Ethnic Diversity Council, uh, was chaired by someone who came over here as a, he's a Ugandan-Asian, and he so remembers the Archbishop of York. Exactly. Yes. But no, the point is he remembers that it was Ted Heath that let the Ugandan Asians in. He did. A and brave and, thing and to it do. was a brave thing to do. Yeah. And and interestingly, I I've I've met several of them who where are we, thirty years on now, uh, have never forgotten that, are now hugely successful business people and are significant donors to the Conservative Party, chairs parties, the party's ethnic diversity council and so on. So uh, interestingly that one brave act has 30 years later had beneficial effects for the Conservative Party. Yeah, yeah, it's a horrible thing to say. On Sunday there was a very slick video in the conference hall at the beginning of the conference before David Cameron's first speech setting the tone and the parameters of the conference. The only person who got hissed when it came up on the screen, oh, yeah. Churchill, Disraeli, everybody else was up when it said Ted Heath and the voiceover said took us into Europe. There was hissing and booing and um, that, as often in life, seemed unfair. Well, you're a bit of a Heathite Tory, aren't you? I was appealing to you for support. Uh, well, indeed. I mean, and, and it was unfair. But uh, it, it, you, people often forget that the party conference is not particularly representative, even of the membership of the Conservative Party. You know, these are people who can take three, in this case, working days off. It used to be a whole week off to do it. And therefore, what you get is, is a conference that is skewed towards the young and the elderly. Mm. that by and large working age people might come for a day but there are huge numbers of young people here and there are huge numbers of people who are retired here and other people tend to dip in and out for a day so people sitting in the hall aren't even representative of the 300,000 members. Andrew Jimson, uh, some people uh, have said yes, it's interesting there are young people back at the Conservative Party conference after a lean decade. It shows that the bright young things who are interested in politics, the would-be politicians and councillors and MPs, the, the, the wannabe MPs have tested the wind, held their finger up to the wind and decided the Tories are the coming party again, so they've leapt to the right rather than to the, to the left. Do you recognise that cynical and worldly picture of what goes on? Not particularly, but then I'm not very cynical or worldly myself, so I still think it's a party above all of confused 53-year-olds. But Mr Cameron said, um, he said in his opening speech that they had 25,000 new members since he became leader, which is, you know, it's good, it's, it's all right. It's, but it's, not, it? it's not, frankly, a, as impressive a figure as you might expect. There are obviously a lot of people who used to belong to the Tory party who have not yet rejoined, who are not yet convinced by Cameron. Well, but, but I, I think the, the analysis about people rejoining is, is wrong. Um, that <clears throat> I mean, not that they're not rejoining, but, but that's sort of slightly what the Conservative Party likes to think. Out there, there are lots of people who used to belong to us. There are. Who there, we, there who, were basically Macmillan Tories in the older generation. Well, I, I suspect... Who, y yes, but, but it's, it's who, new who people. Who hated the narrowing of the party, which became more and more e 
but but I think the, by far the bigger pool are yes. people who have never belonged yes. to a political party yes. because this people a, don't. Well, they're not yeah. joining don't in great numbers, yes, yeah. are they? Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I disagree actually that 25,000 isn't an impressive figure. I think that is an impressive figure. When you think that's 50% of the membership of the Liberal Democrats, uh, that actually to get 25,000 people to write a cheque for £15 or more to a political party in less than a year is pretty good going. I think the lawyers have just told me it's slightly less than 50% of the membership of the Liberal Democrats, but uh, uh, let that pass. There was a reference there to Macmillan Tories. That's Harold Macmillan. It's nothing to do with Macmillan nurses. Now, uh, Damien Green, if I can pin you down, John Humphreys-like, on one small point. What's the Tory policy on uh, work applicants and the entry rights of Bulgarians and Romanians when they join the EU next year? We think the government should um, apply the restrictions that are allowed under the accession treaties, you're allowed a seven-year transition period. It's what most countries used when the, the previous wave of accession happened. And the fact that they did and we didn't is why the government expected 15,000 people to arrive and 600,000 arrived. And I think it's, it's for once, it's a really interesting uh, social science experiment because it, you can't normally do this. But even though those, the people who have arrived from Poland and the other countries are by and large exactly what you want, um, in immigrants. They are hardworking, they, they've come here to advance themselves, they're doing useful things. Nevertheless, there still have been problems caused by the unexpectedly large number. I attended a conference... Problems caused on social services? Well, A, problems caused in, in some areas with schools suddenly yep, finding yep, 50 okay. new pupils who can't yep. speak English, but also problems for them, because even though a very small proportion uh, aren't getting jobs, a small proportion of 600,000 is a lot of people. I attended a conference in London a couple of weeks ago where the Polish equivalent of shelter is setting up an office here because there's now a significant problem of Polish men homeless in London sleeping rough on the streets. Now, a lot of that has come about because there have been a huge unplanned number uh, of people coming here. And I just think we ought to learn the lesson from that and for Romania and Bulgaria actually plan it better. At the end of the conference season, I can't remember what I read where, where written by which politician or which party, but in the last few days I read someone saying part of the difficulty is that the benefits of um, migration of this kind uh, accrue much more to the upper and middle class and the disbenefits, crowded schools, depressed wage rates, bear down upon poorer people. Is that something you'll tick the box for? Well, I, th I mean, I think this thing's more complicated than that because one of the benefits is uh, clearly that um, inflation is kept down, which by and large is a good thing. It's another way of saying wage inflation, isn't it? Well, partly, but I mean, wage inflation is a bad thing in the end for the poor. As it's well, very, as very as tough, as well though, as if you're a bricklayer and you were earning £120 a day and you now earn £60 because the repose will do the work for at half the yeah. rate. Yeah. That is very, must be very, very tough. Luckily, not, although Jesus Conrad was a great Polish writer, there don't seem to be very many Polish sketch writers. Or biographers of, 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 of Boris Johnson, the, the Turkish years. It was, after all, the Poles who beat the Turks and yes, pushed them out of exactly. Europe in 1683. Exactly. Right enough but, of that. But, I mean, yeah. in as much as, as, as there is truth in that analysis, uh, what it shows is that the, the simplistic view that either um, if you're, I don't know, a, a Thatcherite free marketeer, then you believe in free markets and everything, and you should just open the borders, or the she view... She didn't, though, if I remember right. Yeah, it did, <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that would be, Swamped, as it were, a co coherent... Uh, I'll remove the word Thatcherite now. If you're a free marketeer, you might argue that uh, there should be no borders anywhere in the world, everywhere, yeah. should, should move everywhere else. Um, Oh, that, I think, is a simplistic view that doesn't work. And there's, there's an equivalent simplistic view on the other side that says Britain is full, uh, please can we close our borders now. I think both of those are wrong uh, and, and striking the right balance in what is a hugely sensitive area. 
um, is the task for uh, responsible and sensible politicians, and that's what we're seeking to do. Okay, another uh, tricky and sensitive issue. Uh, you've backed the construction of a wind farm off Ramsgate on the Kent coast, a, 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 a hike from uh, Ashford. The local council has approved it. Energy company says it will create 8,000 jobs. That's the kind of jobs you need in a modern economy. The Germans have got a million jobs in this sort of thing. Nonetheless, 271 turbines and busy shipping lanes nearby, 12 miles off the Kent coast. Uh, how much enthusiasm do Kentish constituents have for that? Well, a lot more enthusiasm than one of the other proposals, which has been approved, sadly, uh, which is for a wind farm on the Romney Marsh. It's actually not in my constituency, but it, it will be seen but for my constituency. And that Michael is Howard's house looks down on the Romney it, Marsh, it, it, doesn't it? We're it, not it, having that's nimbyism. That sounds is, a grotesque plan, actually. Uh, well, that, that, is, that is what's happening. And, and you know, frankly, it, as a broad generalisation, if I'm asked to support offshore wind or onshore wind, I'd support offshore wind. And, and this proposal off Ramsgate, I understand, is not going to cause any huge visual problem. Um, you, you can sort out problems like shipping lanes. Um, I am, broadly speaking, in favour of, of, of wind power. I think it's a good idea. Uh, but where you put these things uh, is clearly a matter of huge environmental importance. And 12 miles off Ramsgate seems to be more sensible than on the Romney Marsh. Andrew Jimson, you reacted very sharply to that then. I drove across North Germany and Denmark and Holland this summer and... Uh, there is on an enormous scale what I've never seen in Britain, not even in Cornwall, these strange silent windmills going around. I don't find them ugly. Obviously Romney Marsh is the wrong place, but uh, they have a sign of graceful solitary beauty, it seems to me. Well, you're a modern man, Michael. But I, I'm not. I, I, you're well, you're one. more modern than me, who's not saying much. But, um, so you're, you're, you're a, a I'm a Luddite. Yes. You're relentlessly hostile. It, 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 it depends hostile. where they are. I, th I, th I think things in, in urban environments, I don't mind at all. The French put them by the side of motorways, uh, yes. which seems to be all right. You're not destroying anything very beautiful. Actually, you've already driven a motorway through it. Um, yeah. There is one. I am uh, you referred to uh, my father, your, your, your first boss, uh, brought me up in Reading. Next to Reading Football Club, which is now a classic sort of edge of town development, they have built a huge wind yeah. turbine. Yeah. And, I, and I drive past it often on the M4. Everybody can see it by the yes. Courage Brewery in the Medeski Stadium on the M4. Yeah. And that's fine. So this that, man says it's true. He's elected and it's true. That, that seems so. to be a fine place to put uh, a wind turbine. But tops of hills and beautiful countryside are not the place to put them. Fine. I'll leave you the, uh, the anecdote. David Cameron has won his battle to put a windmill on his house in North Kensington. It's not Notting Hill at all. But somebody apparently said to him, hang on a minute. If you're the only person with a windmill, all those terrorists will know where you live. Life is complicated. Thank you all for listening. Damien Green, Andrew Jimson, many thanks. Thanks. We'll be back tomorrow for our final podcast of the Conservative Conference. Uh, uh, has David Cameron given the Tory party enough to chew over this week? We hope so. Until uh, tomorrow, goodbye. Guardian Unlimited.